do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by the Nubian overlord, Danielle Caroli. How's it going? Uh, I'm doing well. Overlord, though. Is that... <laughs> Well, Is I'm that because you're still overlord. bitter that I was in uh, Disney the other day? Yeah. You know, I wasn't going to say anything, but you brought it up. How are you not going to let I, nor the listeners, know that you got to go to Disney for a couple days and like enjoy beautiful weather and Star Wars stuff and all that good stuff? Well, I didn't enjoy beautiful weather. Well, I was there for a few days, and I... Friday was nice weather. Saturday and mm-hmm. Sunday, it was all of 65 and absolutely miserable. Um, but Star Wars, I will say, I won't, I don't want to spoil it because while I am not a huge Star Wars geek, nerd, whatever, um, whatever the enthusiast, word. that would enthusiast. be the appropriate oh, enthusiast word. Enthusiast sounds better. Sorry, sorry. And <laughs> while I'm not the biggest Star Wars enthusiast, I did love the Star Wars section of Hollywood Studios in Disney, and it was absolutely amazing, like stepping into another planet. And Mm -hmm. like I told you off the podcast, I highly recommend just going down for the day and enjoying that part of Disney and then leaving Disney because there's nothing else there that are that's worth (laughs) visiting. Well, that's because you don't have kids and. And you're, you know, you're just kind of going as the adult version. I mean, if I went by myself, I wouldn't want to be like going to the the cars area or you know whatever little Pixar areas. But Star Wars, heck yeah, I'm all about it, man. I'm like, I as soon as you said you're there, I'm like, please tell me you're going to Star Wars. And you're like, yes. And I was like, I'm immediately jealous. Don't talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that was it. Was absolutely spectacular. What they did with that area of the park was is definitely worth the visit. Yeah, I can imagine. So besides going out and enjoying Florida, even though it was cold in 65, blah. (laughs) As you guys were all dealing with the winter ice storm up here. Yeah, like, excuse me? (laughs) How how was the rest of your week as you drop your mic? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, As I run away from this podcast. Um, (laughs) uh, It's been going well. We got some pregnancy results back on our herd, so that was very exciting, including um, an AI that I was pretty sure she had taken, but, you know, in the world of AI juju, you don't talk about it until you get the confirmation on the blood test, so even though she's due in April, um, and you can kind of see that she was sporting a baby bump. I just mm. wasn't comfortable yet until you you want that Maury Povich like confirmation. Exactly. Right? The results are in and she is pregnant. So congratulations. Exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So what's we, going uh, on there? Well, we uh, have been enjoying slipping on ice everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I rode my first hay bale the other day um, from the hay barn down to my barn. Just so it was like it was the safest mode of transportation. It was either fall on my butt or just sit on my butt and slide. So I chose that. And it went so quite is, well. Is that now the new mode of transportation that is happening every day over there? Uh, well, today and yesterday were actually quite lovely. Uh, today hit like 45 degrees here. I went outside in shorts. It feels like springtime. Uh, <laughs> and then yesterday was much of the same. So although we still have some ice, it's like that pitted ice that you can actually walk on and not die. Yeah. So, so – uh, for now, th- I will hang up my hay bale uh, bobsledding uh, hat, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll just continue using my legs. But yeah, so so we've been dealing with ice, and you know that's fun. But today, well, yesterday I cleaned out the buck pen, uh, got that all clean and nice, and they're happy, and then. Today I had my vet come out and remove some scurs on one of my bucks. So that was fun. Sounds like it. <laughs> it was it was actually it went a lot smoother than I thought it was going to be, a lot less blood than I thought there was gonna be. Uh mm-hmm. you know, ended up using OB you know, knocking him out. Uh for the most part. He was still a little, you know, we didn't knock him all the way out, but mm-hmm. so he was a little loopy, but uh yeah, we laid him down and I held him by his head and got the OB wire out, cut him out and, uh, you know, cinched up some veins that were, or whatever they arteries, uh, that were, uh, spurting some red fluid. And, uh, yeah, so he's all set. We, um, are lucky that our vet came out because my farm cat ended up getting in a tangle with a Fox or a coyote or something. Oh no. Yeah, I let him in last night, and he was limping a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Maybe he slipped on some ice um, and just kind of pulled a muscle. And then this morning, his leg was all swollen and and wasn't walking on it. I was like, oh, boy. And this is like, this is my dude, right? This is my my spirit animal, Mushy. He's nine years old. (laughs) (laughs) He is. He's like, he's the sweetest guy, but he's, he's also tough as nails. He's so cool. Um, you know, he's great with Alice and everything. So luckily the, the vet came out today anyway. So we had her look at him and she's like, well, I don't think it's broken. And then she felt a scab and she goes, he got in a tangle or something. And then we found another puncture wound on his stomach. So something tried grabbing him. Oh um, gosh. yeah, I was like, oh, great. Here we go. So he's the abscess king. He always gets abscesses from getting in fights with things. Um, but yeah, so he's on the mend, I guess. So we gave him some antibiotics, and we're going to keep a watch on his leg. I'll have to lance it if if it comes to that. But mm-hmm. yeah, so that's my that's my crazy week. I usually don't have – usually I'm like, oh, you know, we're just surviving. But we had a lot going on this week, I guess. Yeah. And now are you <laughs> going to put trail cams out, or do you have trail cams out to figure out what is getting close to your house right now? Or? Uh, I do have trail cameras out. Um, it's It's – guaranteed either a fox or a coyote a couple weeks ago samson saved his skin you know saved the cat from uh getting caught by a fox i mean long time listeners of the podcast will know that 
Uh, we've had a fox attack that cat in the middle of recording a podcast where all of a sudden I just go, Nate, I gotta go. <laughs> I think I remember that one. I, yeah. yeah. So he, he always gets in trouble. So we just have to, I have to do a better job of getting him in before it gets dark out. I mean, we've got, judging from our trail cameras, we have foxes and coyotes, not so many coyotes as we used to, but we definitely have a group of at least three foxes that are less than 200 yards away from the house at any time. So that's fun. Yeah. Adds a whole (laughs) extra layer of fun to farm Uh, life. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's, you know, it's one of those things we try to, keep an eye on it and we'll see mm-hmm. but uh yeah we're we're about four weeks from freshening our first dough i know i'll be ahead of you this year but uh we're looking forward to that the vet did check over the does by just you know looking at them you know leaning on the fence and she's like oh yeah they look really nice so we're getting excited for that that's exciting it'll be here before you know it oh i tell you what i am whooped from this weekend of work and uh cleaning out the buck pen and, and just dealing with snow and ice for a week and for the uh, needs less conditioning crew that's still going on. And my love handles are even sore today. So I think I lost a couple pounds. <laughs> oh my gosh. Though I did see, I was watching TV and I saw what I can own, which would be my dream way to lose weight. It is a, I don't even know where they were, but it's a Japanese chef who is, a, he does like Japanese barbecue mm-hmm. and they have these giant smokers and shipping containers. And so during the summer months, they have to go in and feed the fire and take care of all of the um, meat that they put in their smokers. Okay. And they're like, yeah, we lose all this weight all the time because it's 120 degrees and you're in here doing all this stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, that wouldn't be, I mean, it would be hot, but like the food would be good. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's me, but when like I cook stuff, uh, I tend to, you know, you, you of course try a little bit as you're and taste it while you're cooking. But by the time you're done, you're like, yeah, I don't even want to eat anymore. Like I'm good. So that feel, is true. I feel like I'd be skinny if I was working there. <laughs> <laughs> but anything else crazy happening for you this coming up week or are you just kind of cruising? I think it's a cruise week. I'm going to take advantage of the nice weather that we're supposed to have this weekend. Probably do pedicures on the doe herd and straighten up my barn a little bit. The last few days when it's been so freezing, it's just, you know running it out meet everybody (laughs) and get out and um so now just gonna take advantage of that yeah yeah for sure i Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be doing the same thing this coming week as well Uh, we do have some ad good news to get through um and one of the more lighthearted ones uh, after recording our last episode uh it (laughs) it just appeared out of nowhere that Adga has a new celebrity. The call center in the office is increasingly easier to reach in. I personally was able to call in and get a problem I had addressed. Uh, The rising star of all of this is Jake from State Farm, as he's lovingly called. Uh, His real last name is Houston, not of State Farm or from (laughs) State Farm. (laughs) He's the customer service manager 
in the office. Uh, Jake has been doing a stellar job getting issues fixed. So thank you, Jake, for the hard work and everyone else in the office for working hard to get problems addressed. I know they've been a little bit low on numbers because COVID did hit the office, it seems. Yeah, no, they've between Jake and the rest of the team under him, they've been all doing well. And from what I hear, rocking the khakis. So (laughs) rocking the khakis. Uh, What's the next bit of news, Danielle? (laughs) We have our national show judges for the 2022 Harrisburg Nationals, um, or at least five of them. It was, I believe it was Monday or this week as we were recording, um, Agda sent out the announcement and through a massive turnout in online voting, Ed Kavanaugh, Mark Baden, Joan D. Rao, Anna Thompson Haddock, Lynn and Lynn Benedict are going to be the five judges that have been elected by the membership and the sixth judge will be announced after they are appointed by the committee. That's exciting. It really is. We're just another step closer to hearing about the the breed uh, order and then planning for, you know, clipping goats for, for nationals. We're just that much closer. So I feel like forward. we almost need a countdown. I don't know how many days it is yet, but I feel like we're almost close. To, we have to be close to 100, probably 100 and change right now, but we should start. We countdown. should start a countdown. Maybe uh, I can figure out a way to get a live countdown going and pin it to a, the top of the ringside page. <laughs> Not to stress anything, anybody out or anything. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to want to come visit our Facebook page because they'll see that. And they're like, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so on the fun side of things, uh, there's a lot of posts this week regarding uh, caravans to nationals and people starting to plan for national show. So I can't wait to see all the posts of those preparing for nationals and and the excitement that just builds from it and the camaraderie that's going to be built. Last year, I really enjoyed some of the caravan posts. So I know there's a group from California that's going to be heading east. So it'll be cool to see. No, I agree. The caravans are always fun to watch as they trek across the country. I really don't know how they do that. Just the work involved my hat goes out to them but it's essential when you're when you want to go to nationals and you're driven to do that but sometimes just the work that they get that you know people not that everybody else is putting in the work too but when you have to make those long several thousand mile trips just adds just a little bit extra to but Oh, yeah, for sure. And and we'll be finding out about that because I have one of those people part of that caravan lined up for after nationals. So we'll be hearing all about their their trip. Awesome. I'm excited for that. What's the uh, next bit of news? So the next bit is um, we've been seeing a lot, especially on uh, Facebook, about questions in the Nigerian dwarf color descriptions Um, that are being rejected when the registration apps are being reviewed. Mm -hmm. And it seems that the Alpine verbiage, such as Kuclair and Kublanc, um, get rejected because they are Alpine descriptions and not part of the Nigerian dwarf verbiage, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so that's the biggest thing that 
it seems like a lot of people are just having issues with that color description. And I know there's a petition going around. Um, people are signing. But the other thing people might or Nigerian dwarf breeders might want to do to address this issue, particularly I know that they have a list of color terms that have been um, put together actually with scientific, I, I believe, like a scientific study. Yeah. Is to get with their breed um their breed club and actually petition these terms to be added to the guidebook through the breed like so have the breed cl- right become through responsible the yes and have them write up the terms that they would like to be acceptable colorings or you know possible acceptable colorings so that this way um in the guidebook those colors and the descriptions are available as a resource, but also so that this way um, they could be official words as well. Yeah. So just like they did with the leads mm -hmm. um, and making sure that was accessible to the Nigerian dwarf breeders, um, have your, have the breed club start directing kind of what they want, because ultimately when new breeds come in or, breed standards are set agda does rely a lot on what their breed clubs are suggesting so put to the petition is great but i also think to you if this is something that nigerian dwarf breeders really want to address they should get it to their breed club and have the breed club um put together the terms that they want to use as terms of standard coloring yeah, I, I agree. I, I've i been pretty quiet about this whole thing online just because I, I don't have Nigerians anymore. And I don't think that my opinion really has much weight because I don't own them anymore. Um, but I have gotten quite a few. I mean, quite a few people that are like, oh, well, you're part of the Breed Standards Committee. Uh, what's going on with that? And I'm going to answer it here. Do not ask me about committee work. I will not answer you. Because we're not allowed to talk about any of that until a decision has been made in public. So um, I hear you. I appreciate you all, but I cannot answer any of those questions. So um, just know that if you want to get something done, yeah, petition's nice, but maybe try to find an answer on how to make it better um, and, and come up with a plan of verbiage that needs to be used for those standards of your breed mm-hmm. um now i want to say real quick congratulations to kate cockburn of kate's little farm i, th- I believe it's kate's little goat farm by the way of oh, illinois <laughs> for guessing last week's podcast guest correctly uh when we do have guests scheduled we will try to drop a hint on the friday or saturday before the episode airs and give everyone a chance to guess who will be coming on uh, everyone who guesses correctly will get a shout out from us during the next episode we record. So be sure to get your guesses in before our Monday podcast release. And you guys can guess both on our Facebook page and our Instagram as well. Yeah. I'll start uh, making more posts on the Instagram besides the weekly, uh, the weekly, Hey, this is, who we have on or this is what our episode's about posts that I make 
Um, so I'll, I'll make sure that I start going through that as well. Um, I'll probably link our Facebook and our Instagram together so I don't have to keep making separate posts. Probably makes it a little easier. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next bit of news. We have um, a few webinar series and different things kind of that have come out that we just wanted to throw out there to the Dairy Goat world if they want to participate. Um, the Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Dairy Team will um, be continuing their quarterly Dairy Goat webinars in 2022 and have released their webinar schedule with a webinar on March 15th focused on milking systems and facility design as it relates to milking dairy goats and um, recommended, recommended housing and ventilation design. Um, we'll post that link on our Facebook page and attending is free, but you do have to register for the event. Um, the other one, which we did post already, is Cornell University, Go Big Red, is hosting a Parasite 101 webinar on March 9th. And again, that's posted on our Facebook page with a link. And so um, as events come up and you see them or whatever, feel free to send those to us as well. And um, if we have time, we'll give them a shout out as well so that this way we can just pass along and continue to make sure that the resources um, are known for what is available to educate the dairy goat community. For sure. I always enjoy listening in on those. Uh, the Cornell one is with Dr. Tatiana Stanton as well. Um, I think we should try to get her on the show. Oh, I think that would be a good idea. Yeah, she's pretty awesome with the, the small ruminants, especially goats. So you might have to reach out to her. My, you know, my dad used to work with her, so maybe I can be like, hey. Remember Rick Kane? <laughs> this is his little boy, John. Yeah, yeah. I don't have goat or I don't have cows anymore, but I have goats. <laughs> right. No, well, she would definitely be a good one to get on. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's it for the ad good news this week. Uh, we're going to toss it over to Nate. It's now time for ringside's feedback segment. Nate Funk is going to rip open another feedback. He'll reach in and answer a listener submitted question. And now, Nate Funk. Hey, Nate, how's it going, brother? Oh, going pretty well, pretty well. We're just, uh, you know, finishing off uh, February here. And we're just uh, enjoying things here at the farm, getting plans for the spring. Looking forward Sweet. to some spring shows. And you? Oh, well, I'm just surviving, brother. <laughs> uh, it's all we all can hope for. It's all we well, can Nate, hope for. Uh, hey. This is the first rendition of your feedback, so we'll, do you want to rip into her? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, brother. All right. Lori asks, I'd love to know how other dairy goat owners deal with the USDA and their state scrapie laws. I wrote a long post on my page that explains why. I'd love to see ADGA fix the problem I ran into trying to comply. Thanks, guys. So, um, I did a little bit of research on this, just a little bit. Uh, Lori was asking about uh, being able to register 
uh, leathers and having, or at least being able to use uh, the tattoos that we all put in our uh, ADGA registered dairy goats in order to comply with the USDA scrapey laws. And certain states have different rules as to what they accept and what they don't accept. And I did, you know, tap into uh, some directors and get a little bit of feedback on this. And Lori, what I found was you could get normally, normally, underlying that word normally, or at least not in the NG world, or the goal is with the NG, that you will be able to get a record of record or recordation um, from ADGA um, for your weather. You'll be able to record them such that your tattoos would or should work with the USDA. Um, now, each state is a little bit different as to what they will accept and what they require. I would check with your state, uh, you know, Department of Agriculture. Um, now, some states have more strict rules than, you know, here in New York, if they've got a tattoo in their ear and they've been registered at some point in their lives, whether as a uh, buck and then they got turned into a weather or whether they were registered with a registry as a weather, um, New York would accept it. And many states are kind of that way. Um, other states say, no, you need a scrapey tag in those animals. Um, as far as what ADGA can do, um, you can get together with other breeders and try to educate your individual Department of Agriculture on, you know, the ADGA registry um, or even, you know, just the act, you know, your, how the breeders tattoo the animal in its permanent tattoo and it's tied to a registry. Um, currently, I know the ADGA with the NG system is having trouble with uh, the record of recordation that the weathers have, as, amongst other things, but they're getting better. Um, so I would say get together with, with folks, uh, talk to your Department of Agriculture, maybe even talk to your directors um, directly and see if they can help or give some advice as well. Um, Perfect. And that's where I would go with the with that awesome now before we wrap up this feedback nate i gotta ask what do you think about your new intro music for the feedback i think it's pretty cool um it's uh, lively uh upbeat <laughs> and uh you know i'd love to hear what the listeners think of it um, awesome man awesome well nate as always it's a pleasure of course <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the next feedback. Yeah. Hey, good night. Thanks, Nate. Now on to the main topic. And, guys, we didn't really mention it in the beginning of the show, but, hey, it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. So uh, since it is Valentine's Day, we figured everyone likes chocolates or flowers on this romantical day romantical that's my word man <laughs> tyranny i say it all the time she hates it oh my god speaking of tyranny what are 
are you getting her? Can you say, or is she? <sighs> All right. Uh-oh. I'm going to be real with you guys here. Tierney is the most boring person when it comes to gifts. That you'll you ever- can't say this. <laughs> I can. I'm going to. I said it. Oh, my right? God. You're going to be in the doghouse. <laughs> no, because she knows it's true. So for Christmas, I got her one of those uh, robot vacuums that she call, calls Rosie, like from the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, the Roomba or whatever. So we she she loves that. She but she asked she didn't even ask for that. I just knew she would love it. So that was like the winning gift for Christmas. So what does she what does she say that she wants for Valentine's Day? Oh, you know, a steam mop for our wood floors. That's what she wanted. Oh, so you got that for her plus flowers and chocolate? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay, you know, I good. I always do. So I hate doing flowers and Tierney hates when I say this too because I say that flowers die like relationships. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to get so many <laughs> messages from this show. But uh, yeah, I've always, always said that. And she dislikes that. Uh, so yes, uh, she'll have her flowers and her candy and her card. And we'll, you know, hopefully be able to sneak away for dinner and all that good stuff. Um, do you have any plans with your puppy for Valentine's Day? With my puppy. Um, <laughs> we've already gotten our um, Valentine's from friends and uh, she got treats too. So she will be enjoying those once her poor little stomach settles. She got a little sick, I think, from the adjustment, but she will be more than excited to eat her. She actually got somebody got her goat milk dog treats and so she will be enjoying those as soon as her stomach's a little bit more stable oh boy yeah that's exciting and what did she get you did she get you a steam mop (laughs) no um she got me several new pairs of stylishly ripped jeans um particularly (laughs) in the calf area um it's a little bit of teething action going on just a little bit just a little bit (laughs) that's fun yeah Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, going back to the romantical day, uh, we're going to help anyone who may be thinking about getting dairy goats uh, or getting a different breed of dairy goats by giving our personal insight on each breed. And, you know, like the fo- famous quote says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Okay, Forrest. Yeah, yeah, that's my forest impression. Uh, the same could be said for goats. But we're here to help make those chocolates a little less mysterious. So we're going to kick it off. And just so everybody knows, when we're talking about pounds per day, uh, that's from the 2019 breed averages. Um, also, before we dive into the breeds, uh, what would you say are a few tips for people trying to figure out what breed works best for them, Danielle? I think the key is to first look around and see what is available locally, um, especially with kind of your interest in mind. And keep in mind that if you're starting with a small herd, which is much what most people do, you're going to be looking for a buck. And so you want to make sure you're selecting a breed that you have access to stud service by breeders that are um, within the same health standards of their goats as you, or 
if you want to be competitive in a show ring, you want to make sure that you're going to be potentially bringing goats to an area where there's enough to make it official or you can help make them official um, and not starting out with, you know, one of a goat breed. And that's going to be the only one in Mm -hmm. your area if you want to be um, really competitive. Um, And also making sure that you have access to genetics you like and are a fan of and considering where you're going to be bringing in new genetics from and are you comfortable flying them across country, just different things like that. The other thing I think you should definitely consider um, is your space and butter. Excuse me. Your, space your butter. And, yes. Your butter. Your butter fat content. Of course, it's the most important <laughs> part of it all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nubians. <laughs> Nubians. <laughs> um, no, it wouldn't be new. It would, well, Nubians, but also Nigerians. Um, yes. But <laughs> your space and budget considerations. Um, do you have a lot of pasture space? Your town zoning restrictions, sometimes that number of goats that you can have might influence whether or not you do a standard size breed or a, um, or, you know, the Nigerian dwarf breed, um, as well as ease of handling. Are you taking a breed that you can work with daily and can do what you need to do, or do you need to do, um, a smaller breed or temperament? So just kind of figure out what you want, I would say. Oh yeah. And what's available locally and what, yeah, anything I, else you I would agree. add? Uh, I would agree with uh, choosing a breed that is uh, featured in your area. Um, you know, like I have two Guernseys and let's face it, if there's AOP where them and Sables, because Sables are low in our area, are the only ones sanctioned, guess what? I have two of the two. Right. <laughs> so uh, it, it's nice to get those, oh, hey, here's a ribbon that doesn't mean anything. Uh, but it's also fun to show uh, in official sanctioned rings, right? Um, exactly. So I think that's important. And also, uh, do you? I really want to stress if if you're looking into getting dairy goats, or if you're looking into getting a different breed, do your homework. Figure out what the ins and outs of those breeds are. I mean, shoot. Starting out when I was still working at Time Warner Cable, now now Spectrum, uh, and we were talking about getting a doe or a weather, you know, two, two goats. Um, you know, I was doing my homework and I fell in love with Oberhasley and Toggenbergs. I actually stumbled upon the Wellbeing uh, farm website from back in the day. And I was like, Oh man, these are gorgeous. Right. Uh, and you know, I did my research and I figured out, Hey, Oberhasley are probably what I want. Um, mm-hmm. so, so we went for that. And then of course, the animals that we got kind of fell into our lap because they just happened to know my little cousin. Right. Right. Well, and then, you know, somebody needed to give you a wedding present too. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's it just, it just all formed. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, sp- speaking of Oberhasli, we'll start that for our first breed. I know everybody's oh, like, is oh, that surprise, what we're surprise. First? Yeah. Really? Surprise, surprise. So are we taking a bite of that chocolate and putting it immediately back? Because <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know what? Oberhasli are great. Okay. They're medium sized, which is perfect for people that are like, ooh, Nubians or Sonnens are huge. Um, you know, medium size. They they hail from Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> they... Uh... <laughs> 
they come in some fancy colors, uh, chamoise or bay with correct black markings, as I like to call them. Not even going to touch that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you, <laughs> you want to get fancy, uh, does can be black. Hello? Uh, they milk average six and a half pounds a day from 2019. Uh, oftentimes pinned with the goaty flavor milk, but if you handle it right... Uh, it tastes just fine. And, uh, you know, the characteristics of this breed, I mean, they're a very calm, quiet, sweet breed. Um, I mean, you'll have the oddball uh, Mary Max that are silly and can be a pain in the butt when they jump the fence. But but that's whoever named f- her. That's their fault because <laughs> that rhyme, they jump Miss Mary Max. She they she jumped so hard. The elephants jump so high they reach the sky. It's I don't know if you named her or if it was the Funks, but it was the Funks. Those Funks. It's like you don't name a goat princess unless you want her to be a spoiled brat. You don't name a goat Mary Max unless you want her to have, um, you know, some hops going on there. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 few and far between when it comes comes to Oberhasli. So I'm okay with having one. And and since I sold the Nigerian, which we'll get to that breed in a minute um she hasn't done it as often so that's weird <laughs> do you have any, do you have any special takes on Oberhasli uh and how phenomenal they are <laughs> well what i do think is cool is they are actually on the livestock con um conservation list um and they're holding a recovery status mm-hmm. i believe a couple of years ago, it was more of the critical or endangered, and I think the numbers have gone up enough to bump them up to recovery. But it is kind of cool. They're the they're the only I believe they're the only dairy goat breed on that livestock. Um, I think Guernseys are on there. Oh, maybe that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so they are on that list, and. What I think is cool is just their history that when they were imported, they were also known as the Swiss Alpine. And part of their herd book was actually added in the 80s to include some of the Alpine um, that were more an Oberhasli type in that coloring. Mm-hmm. But the purebred members are all descended from the five um, goats that were imported to the u.s in the 19 in 1936 and i think somebody kept i'm not 100 percent sure up on my Oberhasli history but somebody kept a closed herd with those genetics and that is where our modern purebred Oberhasleys kind of came from and then the american ones were there was a little bit of alpine added and i mean you talk about that. You, the biggest one I think of is probably um, that Alpine Sassen, who, when they <laughs> yes. were deciding on the herd book, he <coughs> was uh, correctly typed or close enough in correct type to be Oberhasli. And his owner had to decide whether or not he was going to influence the Oberhasli herd book or if he was going to influence the Alpine. And they chose Alpine for him. But there's a lot of people who talk about what his role would have been if they had chosen to make him a Swiss um, and make him a Oberhasli. Well, Alpines are Swiss. They come from the Swiss elves too. Well, right. Uh, sorry, a Swiss Alpine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you pick the next breed. 
All right, let's go experimental just because they're fun. Okay. Um, so I think when looking for breeds, nobody really thinks of an experimental, but there is so much potential with the experimentals. Um, so what is an experimental really quick to kind of, before we start talking about the pros and cons, the benefits of an experimental, an experimental doe or buck is an animal that comes from two, I want to, I think the term in the guidebook is purebred and I'll kind of dive into that, but two purebred parents. So what that means is in layman's terms, that pedigree can be traced. So it's not necessarily a purebred French Alpine. It can be an American Alpine, but that pedigree is traced. And so both parents are known and registered and that animal is an experimental. Now mm -hmm. an experimental can be an animal that does not meet breed standards. Um, and so therefore cannot be registered as part of the breed or they can also be, you know, a 50% Sonnen, a 50% Nubian like I've had, or um, further generations up of like 75% Sonnen, 25% Nubian, and so forth. A recorded grade, just to differentiate them, is an animal where somewhere in that pedigree, the ancestry is unknown. So it can be a native on appearance animal. It could be an animal where, um, particularly before DNA was a really big thing, um, people would have recorded grades on animals. They just didn't know who the father was. Two bucks got out um, and they didn't feel rightly so comfortable putting a buck down as um, the sire. So that animal would be recorded grade. And those recorded grades um, typically have the... It would be like a recorded grade Nubian or a recorded grade Oberhosley, and mm -hmm. they would be bred yeah. up, or you would be able to breed them up to, um, in several generations, to go into their um, herd to the appropriate herd books. Um, experimentals are pretty cool because they can kind of come in any shape or color. You can have twenty five percent Sonnen, twenty five percent Nubian. 50% La Manchas, as long as they kind of have that pedigree that they come from. And the only thing you have to remember when you're bringing them in the ring is that know how they are registered because um, when you're looking at, as the judge is looking at them, disqualifications, if they are registered as they should conform to a breed standard, disqualifications for that breed standard, while not um, a disqualification may influence um, a placing. So if the disqual mm -hmm. if let's say your animal has a disqualified disqualification in if she were a registered um, whatever breed, but she's an experimental, she won't get disqualified for that. But if you have two identical goats where the judge is trying to decide who places first and who places second, that, what would have been a breed specific disqualification will kind of potentially give the other goat the advantage and bump them up in line. If that right. makes sense. No, yeah, it does. Uh, a perfect example is I have a doe that is uh, Oberhosley type. 
She's an experimental, uh, but she has a Roman nose. So at appraisal, uh, the appraiser thought that she was Oberhasley and they're like, ooh, that head, that nose. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. She's experimental. And they're like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> exactly. That, that's kind of the thing. Right. Exactly. The only breed you cannot have in that experimental pedigree is um, the Nigerian dwarf because the Nigerian dwarf herd book is closed. And so um, you cannot have Nigerians in um, standard goats pedigrees and you cannot use standard goats to breed um, into those Nigerian dwarf pedigrees. Yep. And I think, I mean... Part of the reason why I love experimentals is when you see gorgeous experimentals, they are absolutely gorgeous. Um, For the most part, I personally feel that unless you have a heavy experimental program, you're only going to have a token experimental or maybe two or three things that you um, just animals that you're playing with and doing experiments on not you know not scientific (laughs) experiments but just experimenting with your breeding program and so in order for those animals to be kept around they have to meet the standard of your um your blue papered animals as well if not more to justify a space in their barn so when you see breeders who have been in the game for a while bring out an experimental you can almost always guarantee that this animal is going to be um, a stunning, stunning, very correct animal. Um, yeah, it's tough sledding for the Oberhasley types in those experimental or recorded grade groups, as they're called. Uh, just because, I mean, everything's fancy. Everything's correct. You know, you don't see something that's just like a backyard pet when you're when you're looking at the recorded grade class. I mean, it's at least in our area, I feel like it's always competitive. No, exactly. The one good thing about experimentals, because um, in terms of when you're looking for new animals to add to your herd, but you also have to consider it kind of on the flip side as well, is that oftentimes, and this is not kind of the rule across the board, but because they are not the purebred animal in somebody's herd, the market isn't quite as strong. It's kind of more of a niche market. And so your price point might be slightly less than an animal um, from that, it, you know, a purebred Toggenberg or, you know, a um, regular Toggenberg or anything like that or Oberhasley. And so it kind of, if you're just starting out and looking for something really competitive, but maybe not as strong of a price point, an experimental might be the way to go. However, you just have to remember on the flip side of that, your kid market might not be as strong and bucks are always um, particularly hard to sell as breeding animals. At least Uh. for most of, I was going to say, at least for most of them. I know um, some herd or some breeds it's a little easier such as mm-hmm. the Oberhosley but um and the La Mancha but in other areas you're not necessarily for example Nubians you're probably not going to use an experimental Nubian buck 
Yeah. Just yeah, for experience. sure. I mean, right off the tip of my tongue there, I'm like, as you're talking about that, I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I know of a uh, experimental buck up, up upstate New York that his daughters kicked the crap out of the competition last year. Um, and I also thinking back now, cause I've had quite a few experimental buck kids born. I think I've, I've only sold one experimental buck kid registered. Right. Um, and he was gorgeous. So he needed to go registered, but, uh, yeah, I mean, usually I'll sell them. Cause those, those recorded grades or experimentals, those, I should say experimentals, those, those kids tend to be very cute. So they go pretty easy in the weather market. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I definitely have a harder time selling experimentals, um, unless it's out of a particular dough of mine, but yeah, it's uh tough sledding sometimes for, as that goes too. Mm -hmm. they get turned off by seeing that paperwork that's brown. That's for sure. Yeah, though, really, they shouldn't be because like I said, you see, you know, one of the things I most enjoy watching at the national shows are those recorded great classes where you're <clears> seeing <throat> this crazy caliber of animals enter the ring in all different shapes and size. Well, not sizes, but all different shapes and coloring. And so it is definitely something to consider particularly if you're not necessarily driven to a particular breed right away and just want to have a nice animal with uh, maybe on a lower slightly lower budget that might be the way to go mm -hmm. for sure uh speaking of color <laughs> there's the ever so popular nigerian dwarf you thought i was going to go to the other one but i skipped around i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah nigerian dwarf goats um the smallest of dairy goats, uh, the little powerhouse comes in every Im color imaginable. Uh, so if it has moon spots and blue eyes, it is almost a magical unicorn. Yeah. All it needs to be as pulled as well. Oh, that's uh, true. That's true. <laughs> now Nigerians, I mean, they're little clowns, right? I, I own them. Um, they're, they're just clowns. Uh, there may be a little excessive as far as noise goes. As a generalization, people calm down. Some are quieter <laughs> than others. But oh my gosh, we're going to be getting so much hate this episode. For no, we're not because I just Valentine's. <laughs> now you're calling. Yeah. No, it's I'm all just... John, everybody. It's not me. I'm not Let's saying send it, it this way. It's okay. People know I can take it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm saying some are quieter than others. In the the goats that I had. Maybe not so quiet. Um, you were at fair. You yeah. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now they originate from West African African dwarf goats. There was a pygmy type and uh, the Nigerian dwarf type that we know today. Um, they were just like one breed. And then when they were brought over, they were like, oh, this one's kind of meaty. So we're going to breed meaty to meaty and this one's kind of dairy so we're gonna breed dairy to dairy and and many years later here we are yes and now, they are efficient little milk machines they they are they average 2.6 pounds a day which you know doesn't sound like much but considering their size you're right it's pretty efficient mm -hmm. um now there are a couple things to know about nigerian dwarf goats uh 
as pretty as they are, they are shorter. So if you have back problems and you want to show goats, maybe you want to pick a little bit larger breed. Now we were talking about those overhossley are medium sized. Right. So something or to think about. <laughs> you just start doing, you know, make sure you're doing your yoga before each of your shows and just, you know, oh, practice yeah. making sure you can have the flexibility to bend over in that show ring because there are always a lot of them in the shows as well. And so you're in the ring for a bit of time with these tinier goats. I always laugh though, because there always seems to be the tall six foot four, six foot five guy handling the two month old Nigerian. And you just, you know, big guy, little goat. And it just, my back aches just looking at it. Well, as you mentioned earlier in the show, leads were approved to be used when showing Nigerians or any other goat breed for that matter. Um, so you you have the option to use a lead, uh, but yeah, it, they're shorter, um, smaller. Um, they also, if you're ta- if you're wanting to breed Nigerian dwarf goats, uh, they tend to have big litters. They um, do. Yeah, and I heard, and I didn't get a chance to look, and so if anybody knows of this a little better than i do um please you know confirm it with us and you know let us know but i heard part of the reason why they have litters is partially because of their size and just kind of that idea that like smaller animals tend to have more offspring at a time versus larger animals and the um allotment of resources but also between the nigerians and the pygmies when they were being imported, originally they were being imported by zoos. Have you heard this? Yeah. Okay. So I'm not completely off on this. No. Okay. So they were imported by zoos and the goal was to have milk, but then also have food for the lions, tigers, and bears. And so they were encouraged to have litters to have kind of to keep that population in control and then they realized that there was a lot of milk in the nigerian aspect of it and um started breeding them to be dairy goats and here we are today Mm -hmm. and they are are the most popular of breeds by far Mm -hmm. um every show there's a ton of them and you know honestly without i i know i kid about nigerian dwarves all the time sorry I get corrected about this all the time, Danielle. This is this is my Agda. Uh, <laughs> Nigerian dwarfs. I say dwarves. That's not correct. Oh, you know. So so uh, the Nigerian dwarf breed is is very popular and keeps uh, honestly keeps shows and clubs going. Um, just mm-hmm. to be you know blunt, uh, they've done a lot for the registry. Um, have brought in a lot of money for the registry and and if you're looking on selling. Nigerian dwarf goats, uh, they can bring a lot of money in sales. So that's another business opportunity with them. No, it is true. You do have to um, be willing to compete, though. That is the thing. Mm-hmm. You are not going to be the only one, in, for the most part, you're not going to be the only one who has these animals. Um, you're going to be... Um, because of their size and their ease of handling and their feed efficiency, 
you know, a lot more people have them and can have them. So if you do want to get um, into the Nigerian dwarf breed, just remember that um, as there's a market for kids, but there's also, um, I'm trying to think of what I'm like, how to say this. Um, you just, you know, to differentiate yourself is a little bit more difficult because mm. there's just so many um, breeders out there. Right. There's there's definitely a lot of work that would have to be done as far as um, investing in the genetics in your herd, um, you know, bringing in genetics, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to invest quite a bit with the Nigerian dwarf breed um, to get semi-competitive. Um, I'll be honest, that was one of the reasons Deering and I sold out. You know, we were miles away of where we wanted to be and what our ideal dairy goat looks like. And we just, we couldn't, we couldn't justify having a program that was so much lower than our standard program. So we decided to move on from them. But uh, we did love them. You know, I had, don't tell anybody guys, but I did have a favorite goat that was a Nigerian so uh moving on to the next breed, Danielle. <laughs> well, oh no no no, no. <laughs> we'll just move on really quick we're yes running, yes we're running quick short on time um next breed. <laughs> you're you're up all right so um let's see what do i want to what do i want to say all right let's go with the toggenberg so this is another swiss breed it's medium in size they come light to dark brown, um, almost a chocolate cover or sorry color, with correct white or cream markings. Um, does can also be black with correct white or cream markings, mm-hmm. and there are several herds who do have competitive black Toggenbergs. Um, it is a, it's not a disqualification. It is a um defect so they can be placed in the show lineup a little differently because they are black but there you can see some really really nice black toggenbergs out there um and they're just kind of cool to see because um it's just not something you see every day in the breed um and they are beautiful and elegant but they have a streak of being naughty and being troublemakers in terms of milk production, they typically average 7.3 pounds a day. Um, but going back to that streak of being naughty and troublemakers, um, I'll never forget hearing about um, your cousin Faith's Toggenbergs and the trouble that they would get into. And they just Ugh. run her amok with jumping and being in places they're not supposed to. And I think they probably take, you know, each kidding season with her Toggenberg kids on the ground, they probably take 10 years off of her life. <laughs> it, it was fun during the COVID lockdown when she had those Tog kids and she'd put videos on uh, Facebook and they're jumping all over her gator or, all, you know, getting into stuff that they shouldn't be at, you know, trying to get on top of the countertops when they were in her kitchen and Oh yeah, they they just seem like uh, troublemakers. And honestly, uh, this is a breed that I might have, may or may not, may not have fallen in love with before Oprah Hosley. Um, and here's here's the thing, 
here's the thing that uh, was was the no for Tierney. They possibly could have Waddles. Oh. She, she thinks she thinks that Waddles are weird jewelry to have. So, so that was the deciding factor. And she yeah. liked Oberhasley more, and, and I mean, I can't blame her. No. So, <laughs> uh, anything else to add with the cool elg? Also, geez. Also, I should have mentioned in the notes here, who doesn't love a beautiful pink, gorgeous Tog Utter? Oh, I know that their memory systems, they're uh, when they're nice, they are nice. I also, mm-hmm. when you see a correct Tog, you see a correct Tog, and the flatness of bone that you see on these animals, even though they're you typically see them in a smaller size, you do have larger um size Toggenbergs out there but the flatness of bone you see on these animals the substance of bone in these semi-compact bodies they're just and the way they just kind of move around the ring there's just such a grace and elegance um that you see kind of consistently in this breed that you really just admire Mm -hmm. there there's a lot that um I also see a lot of people that maybe not necessarily are bringing them out into the show ring, but just want something pretty to look at in their pasture. And with that colors that they have, um, they're definitely a nice pasture ornament while, you know, being a dairy goat and everything. But there's a lot of pleasing to the eye on those guys. For sure. Uh, Moving on to the next breed uh i will move into guernseys um these are the golden goats as i call them can Uh, you call them golden guernseys how dare you (laughs) well explain why why you say how dare i (laughs) well i'll explain why as a generalization um so people like to call including me in the beginning i used to call them golden guernseys but people call them golden guernseys they're not golden guernseys that's a those are the goats that were over in Europe, Britain. Um, we don't have golden Guernseys here. We have uh, some British Guernseys left, which are the purebreds that were brought over uh, either via embryo or the live animals. Um, so, yeah, we don't have any golden Guernseys. They're just Guernseys or British Guernseys. Okay. But how dare you? <laughs> no, I was just asking so this way it could be explained. That's all. Yeah. So these are the newest addition to Adga. Uh, they're also a medium-sized breed, and really they kind of teeter on small. Um, they're smaller than Oberhasley. Um, like my my kids that are April kids uh, that are about the same age as one of my does are much smaller in comparison. Um so they must be a shade of gold, either from pale flax and cream to a deep russet or bronze color. Um, white roaning, white patches, or white face are acceptable. They must be mostly gold, though, especially in the body. And these are those uh, long-haired goats that people see, and and they can have just that long hair, or they can have a shorter hair, um, and they can also be shown with longer hair or shorter, more traditional clips, people. Um, (laughs) So I've been told they average five to six pounds a day. I have yet to have a milker, so I 
can't see the data there for myself. And they obviously weren't on a milk test or anything like that officially with Adigo. So yeah, uh, the Guernsey, they're a nice, quiet breed, calm in nature. Um, once you tame them, mine were kind of like deer when I first got them. Uh, very skittish, but once once they warm up, man, they're like golden retrievers. They are just a nice, quiet, loving breed. So I, I love my Guernseys. And there's a lot of room to work with them right now as they are the newest breed. Um, people are very interested in them, and I expect that as soon as um, they start being taken out to shows consistently and people start showcasing what they have available that this breed is just going to bump in um, popularity already you're seeing herds going oh i have a turkey i have a token guernsey here or this is my guernsey herd and i think um give them a few years and there's going to be a lot out there and um they're also a pretty hardy breed too i would i would say wouldn't you agree yeah, there. I mean, I haven't had to worm mine, or I haven't had any illness issues with them. Uh, they probably fared the best after fair. Um, they didn't get like the uh, the ick that we usually get from fair. Um, right. So yeah, they they're they're pretty hardy. I like them. Uh, moving on to the next breed. All right, let's see. What do we have left? Oh, well. Yes, say it. Say that first line. Uh, The Sonnens. They're the Holstein of the Go world. I dislike you. All right. I guess we're going with Sonnens. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to go with first. Um, So they're a large breed known for their snow white coats. Um. And these queens run the herd. They average 8.8 pounds per day, um, which is how they kind of earn that Holstein cow uh, comparison title. And they are calm and affectionate. And they are pup. um, They're real working animals. And you frequently with this breed see does that just have extended lactations. You can't get them to stop milking. Um, In my experience, the Sonnens are just driven minimal nonsense animals um they know their purpose and whether that purpose is to eat or make milk or you know kind of that all-encompassing eat to make milk um they do that and kind of just do it with ease my favorite part of while i don't have sonnens i have the experimental equivalent of a sonnen is that drive and that ease um i love when i'm feeding kids if i'm having kids that are having difficulties learning how to adapt to my lamb bar if i have a sonnen you know sonnen experimental kid in there they'll grab right on they know exactly what they're doing (laughs) you don't have to teach them so it makes my life a lot easier and half the time they tend to teach everybody else as well um, and they're so stinking cute as babies. I just, I love Asanen. Um, they're just a really amazing breed with udders that are absolutely phenomenal. The milk production you see from these animals. Um, oh, and, this, yeah. uh, and the size too. I'm a sucker for 
I think my problem is if I were to go to therapy, it was my mother and father never got me a pony. And so, um, <laughs> you know, I tend to gravitate towards the Sonnens or the, you know, the bigger breeds. But um, when you get your hands on them and just see these animals walking in the ring, that style they have, it's truly breathtaking. I agree. Yeah. I see lots of nice Sonnens, especially in this area. So, Oh, I um, know. I was down and I saw a herd and I was, I don't know if it was because they were all white and I'm used to dealing with my Nubians, which come in um, different colors, but I also think it was just the skill that um, this herd of breeding their goats, but the consistency you saw in that herd, you could pull one goat out and you could say, Ooh, I really like the rump and I like this. And then you would see the next one and you'd be like, oh, her rump is just as long. Her rump is just as wide. <laughs> um, and then, oh, the feet and legs on this one. And just kind of go down the line. And the consistency that you saw, you just don't typically see that. Um, but I think that was probably a testament to their breeding program. But then also um, a testament to the Sanin uh, um, as well, just as a breed. For sure. I'm going to move on to the next breed because they are known as the colored Sonnen. Um, yeah, they're uh, the sables. I mean, they originated from Sonnens that had uh, a color background where they were bred to another uh, Sonnen with that gene. Out came a colored uh, Sonnen, which later on opened up a herd book for sables. Um, these are obviously another large breed. Uh, they can be any color except solid white or cream um, from the sables I've seen, they seem to be pretty goofy, almost clownish and clownish in nature. Um, and yeah, they average 7.8 pounds a day. Um, I don't have any personal experiences with sables. We don't have, I don't think any really sable breeders in our area. So I haven't really gotten my hands on with them, but um, the ones that I have seen um, seem pretty nice. No, I would agree. There's a few herds that have sables. Um, and this is kind of, unfortunately, as they're gaining in popularity, kind of going back to that original before you buy kind of tangent that we talked about is if you want to have a breed that is low in numbers, for instance, a sable, and by all means, you know, start breeding the stable sables and making some you know, really nice animals. It's totally doable, but you have to consider how are you going to get these animals bred and what bucks are you going to be using? And so if you don't have that access to um, the bucks, it's going to be an issue. And I think that's probably the biggest hurdle sable breeders have to jump through as they're trying to populate areas with the sables is making sure that bucks are available because um it's it's just hard to kind of start with a breed that you don't have access to the male side of the gen genetics as easily mm -hmm. uh, and i think that's probably one of the biggest issues in establishing at least the sables around us is we just don't have the bucks to use and so um it just gets hard to have a herd of sables around us. For sure. 
I agree. Uh, Danielle, I've been looking forward to you reading this first line. Uh, All right. Next. Disclaimer. This is written for me. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> so my last breed, um, I think we talked and, you know, saving the best for last is the Nubian. So let's get loud with these Nubians. Shall um, we? <laughs> <laughs> so they have a bad rap for being loud. I will say. I don't know if I told this story on the podcast. If I did, it was in an earlier episode, so I apologize for repeating it. But my Nubians are not that loud. Um, There was one time where I think I had four or five in heat, and we were all hanging out in the barn. We could hold a conversation. They weren't, you know, screaming the whole time we were there. And they were all in heat because they were um, being used as teasers for a collection. But they have been known and they do have a bad rap for being a loud animal. And I think that's just because they're opinionated and they want their um, opinions known. Mm -hmm. Um, For everybody who isn't familiar with the Nubian breed, they're the floppy-eared goat with that Roman nose um, and like flowers, they can be any color. Just like the Nigerian, there seems to be um, a large mo- market for spotted animals. Um, people do like those moon spots on the Ni- on the Nubians. My personal preference, and again, this is personal preference. It has nothing to do with anything. Is I love um, the black with the white ears, but. Like I said, that's just my personal preference. And um, in terms of milk production, the breed averages about 6.6 pounds per day. But what they're really known for and what makes them so popular, particularly with um, in the dairy setting or as a home milker, is their heavy butter fat. Um, and it just makes their milk extra divine and perfect for cheese making. And kind of a funny story in terms of their milk and their, um, we, when I was younger, my brothers both played football and were going through about a gallon a day of milk each. And to the point where my mother had the dairy manager at the local grocery store, um, she had his number because she would be getting 18 gallons of milk at a time. And really had to grapple with the fact that we had dairy goats and yet we were buying 18 milk, uh, 18 gallons of milk and we had a whole herd of dairy goats. And but my brothers refused to drink the milk. And so what my mother did was she took a container of milk that wasn't see through and would just fill that container with milk from our Nubians and put it in the fridge and my brothers would drink it. Now, um, obviously like the fat particles would kind of float to the top. So she would shake it gently and just keep up with it. So that though that fat was dispersed throughout the milk, they drank this milk for weeks. They had no clue what was going (laughs) on until one of them were the was the last to drink the milk and threw out the bottle. And so then the next bottle of milk we had was kind of a clear bottle, like the clear plastic. And so the fat 
particles could kind of be seen on the side of the milk. And so they figured out that that milk was not, was oh not, um, was not cow milk, it was goat milk. And let me tell you, it was, we still can't talk about it in the house. Granted, they think that that pitcher of milk was all the goat milk they were drinking and they thought they figured it out quick and, you know, they knew, but they could not taste the difference for weeks between funny. cow's milk and Nubian's milk. And it, I mean, we can't talk about it to this day because, you know, this was deceitful and this was horrible that we did this. And, you know, how could you, you know, try and scam somebody like this? But they um, were more I, than happy to drink it. I can't believe how much milk you guys went through. Did they not know of this awesome liquid called water? Was they that- were both football players trying to gain weight. And we're drinking uh, protein shakes like crazy. Um, yeah, it was, they were trying, they both needed to gain weight. And uh, yeah, hmm. so they were going through and they were, you know, growing teenage boys. So they were each drinking a gallon a day. Good for them having to gain weight instead I know, of losing it. I know. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not, yeah. Unfortunately, those genes skipped over um, this side of yeah. the family, but oh well. Yeah. So if you're looking for goats that break your eardrums from their noise, uh, Nubians are the ones for you. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh my God, I love true. Nubians, guys. They're so great. So yeah. don't, don't... As every time John's goat that has, what, like 5% Nubian is in heat, he sends oh. a video and he's like, this is the Nubian in her. No, it's yep. not the Nubian in her. She's in heat. That's what they do. Yeah, it's totally the Nubian in her. Uh, <laughs> I said I said that this is her last year being bred, but if she's too loud next year, she might just get with a buck. So, uh, moving on to the next breed, uh, we're going to talk without about alpines, not with alpines. That'd be weird. Um, <laughs> so, alpines get the bad rap for being cranky and mean to herd mates. So, I feel like every breed has their uh, ebb and flow of good and bad. Um, yeah, they're uh cantankerous but uh they also can be sweet you know there's exceptions to every rule uh these are another large breed like the nubian um they came or they come in many colors uh they average 8.9 pounds a day uh now these are another swiss breed so they've got the pointy ears um now there are french and american alpines uh breeders tend not to cross french and american lines um so you have the, the French purebred uh, Alpines and then American Alpines. Um, yeah, they're they're another really productive uh, breed. And I mean, when you see a really lovely Alpine, you see a really lovely Alpine, right? Mm, so, no, I agree. And I think kind of if you are new to the market and looking kind of at your Alpines as the breed, really do a dive in what the difference is between a French and American doe. And it's, you know, kind of the quick summary of it is it just comes down to what their pedigree is. But I would say, wouldn't you agree that there's slight style differences between the French and American um, animals and some of that can be size, um, frame of body and just different things like that. So Mm -hmm. if you are looking into Alpines, um, 
you know, that is something to consider too, of which side of the Alpine herd book you gravitate, your eye gravitates to. Oh, I agree. Yep. Um, let's move on to our final breed. Um, I can't believe these are the ones that we end with, but you know, I guess somebody has to, somebody has to be the last goat breed. Right. Uh, you know, there's, there's, we can't just say, Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll make you feel better, better about this. Uh, this isn't the last goat breed, but this is the last goat breed that we'll be talking about. That is true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're going to talk about La Mancha. Uh, these are another medium-ish size breed. Um, do you like big ears? No? La Manchas are perfect for you. Uh, because they don't have any. Well, they do. But they're tiny, right? Or mm-hmm. some of them are elf-ish. Um, yeah, so these are an, an American-made breed, right? This is the only breed that has been made in America. Or North America, maybe, we should say. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, uh, the matcha comes in an array of colors. This is another like really flowery breed that is flashy. Uh, and they average seven and a half pounds a day. Um, so yeah, size differences. You see a lot of large La Manchas. You know, I, I, my mind automatically goes to like Magenli, right? Where they've got mm-hmm. those really big La Manchas. And then, um, you know, you've got some of the smaller, older style La Manchas. Um, yeah, Danielle, you want to add anything to that? Um, I mean, going kind of quickly back to their milk production, they also are known for high butterfat content. So in terms of a nice solid um, milker with a nice production and nice tasting milk with and sweet milk for cheeses and all that stuff, mm-hmm. they're definitely an option. Um, I will say if you choose to show them, particularly at your – county fairs or your state fairs um be prepared for a lot of questions you definitely (laughs) have to have a sense of humor when it comes to exhibiting these goats um and you have to be ready to be that agricultural um advocate and educator because you're gonna get a lot of people that ask you why did you cut off their ears and seriously (laughs) consider that you cut off their ears um and so I think half the fun of fair week sometimes is coming up for with answers for why we cut off the ears, but they really are born that way. Um, and it is a nice and neat little thing about the La Mancha breed. And I, I really do like La Manchas. Um, they're oh, one too. of the only herd books that are open, which allows um, for grading up. And so you have a lot of people who will have your experimental La Manchas and then several generations later have um, an American La Mancha and then actually be able to take that American La Mancha and breed it to a purebred animal. Um, But with that, the animals you see are just really correct. I want to say, granted, I've never bred a La Mancha before, but I swear the consistency you get for however the La Mancha breed works a little differently than some of the other breeds, but the consistency you get in La Manchas just makes some really nice animals. You can breed your 92 appraising um, excellent La Mancha to another 92 appraising excellent La Mancha. And 
get that 92 um, oh, yeah. offspring. And that just doesn't necessarily happen with some of the other breeds. So um, there seems to be consistency there that I think is just a little stronger um, than oh, some of I the agree. other breeds. Yeah, I've been I've been falling in love with La Mancha's. Um, luckily, I don't have the space nor time to add another breed to my farm, or else I'd be in trouble. Um, yeah, but yeah, they're when you see a good La Mancha, you see a good La Mancha. Right, and this is another one where the mammary systems that we see, um, like those togs, are just so correct and um, mm-hmm. well placed. Cool. I think we worked through all of the breeds. The Lamanches weren't last, but they were discussed last, guys. Yes, last, but definitely not least. And that's for sure. Um, yeah, we've got a guest lined up for next week. So we will have uh, a special guest that we'll be dropping a hint about on Friday or Saturday. Um, so, yeah, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Did you want to add anything, Danielle, before we wrap her up? I think I'm good. Alrighty, folks. Well, this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.